for the love of money. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Good morning, Toronto. Good morning, Canada. Hi-Fi Radio, AM 640. Jack Hartle in the studio, Wolfgang Klein, your host, and special guest in the studio, we have DJ Lazy Ray. You may know him from Toronto's. He's been on the show before. He's going to help me line up and cue up the music today as we play tribute to Tom Petty. We're going to weave in some fidelity during our financial show. And of course, couldn't uh, bring rain without his brother Dave Ray, the photographer for Toronto Life. Just wants to be a part of the Tom Petty Memorial Show here. We got Stu Raptus on the line. He is the president of Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. In other words, he is my boss, and he's a man who never backs down. Uh, here we are, an independent brokerage firm, Canaccord Genuity, taking care of you know about hundred million dollars in excuse me, about ten or twelve billion dollars here in Canada, and about what twenty-five or thirty billion dollars um, uh, around the world. And uh, Stu Raptus, of course, has the wonderful privilege of building this business as we compete with the big six banks. So, Stu, I want to set this thing up here. Uh, a lot has changed. You've been in the business since 1985. Uh, I've been in the business since 2001. Uh, and even in that period of time, we, we've noticed a consolidation in the industry, uh, a lot less independence, uh, and uh, a stronger foothold for the, by the Canadian banks in terms of managing Canadians' wealth. And uh, my position on that is uh, consumers are, are being offered less and less choice. Uh, so what's what's your take on uh, uh, how consumers are, 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 are being uh, led in this environment of, of financial services? Okay, well, thanks, Wolfgang, and, and good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, you make a very good point, Wolf. There has been a, a um, commoditization of product in, in the marketplace, very much led by the, the six big banks. And there's good reason for it from their point of view. They're able to produce and manufacture product at a cheaper cost base, which is much more profitable for the banks, but not necessarily good for the individual client. If you think how different most individuals' goals and objectives are, to think that you can achieve those goals and objectives by producing three or four different products, i.e. products looking and feeling very much the same, acting the same way in the marketplace and achieving three or four different goals or, or financial objectives. So very, very difficult to accomplish uh, for most individuals. Uh, everyone I speak to seems to have um, different financial goals, long-term objectives that they're trying to accomplish. And what that requires, I believe, and I think, Wolfgang, you see it live every day, is an independent financial advisor that they can go to and, and build a financial plan with. And, and with the, within that plan, what you're going to find are very specific investments. And what we like to refer to it as a, as a bespoke offering, because it's hard to imagine that these, um, these few products offered by the banks can neatly fit into what you're trying to accomplish for yourself and your family. Well, no, it's been interesting because I was with a, with an old friend of mine, and I, I'm going back now to junior high school. Uh, very, very successful guy, um, and he is with the bank right now, uh, and he is in product. Um, and I spoke to Jack about that. It's basically a, it's a wrap product. So there's layers upon layers of, of, of people, which means costs, uh, which means lower end result to the client. Uh, of course, what I'm trying to do is cut out the middlemen, 
go direct, create a, uh, a bespoke uh, creation, uh, holding individual securities wherever possible, and be able to defend and back up the securities when I have a review meeting with the client. So I want to have a, a substantiated conversation, an in-depth conversation about uh, rate, return, uh, risk, reward, and of course, most importantly, client needs and wishes uh, longer term. So doing that in a with a product, I just find more difficult. My clients said the same thing. So you know, when I meet with this uh, advisor, uh, really all they're doing is kissing my derriere. Uh, we don't get any challenging conversation or engaged conversation. He said, if, you know, if I hire you, I want you to challenge me uh, against you. Uh, I, I find this to be more and more of a trend where it's the, the relationship management is what the, the, the large banks are trying to create, but that's not being necessarily properly received on the consumer end. Yeah, again, I would agree with that. I would say that um, there's a lot of superficial discussion that goes on uh, at these larger institutions with with clients or, you know, in some ways they're more of a customer of the bank than they are a client of the bank. And but they're not really getting getting into the meat of the matter. Uh, what we like to to refer to as a discovery process where you can sit down with a uh, with a professional investment advisor and really spend the time that 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 one needs and is required to go through and answer some difficult questions engage in some difficult conversation just around um, family situations employment situations um, inheritance um, you know what 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 it is that you're trying to achieve through investments uh, for the short medium and long term and you know that requires uh, some very detailed questions and 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 answers, obviously. So without that, it's hard to imagine that you can come up with an appropriate financial plan. And then you need the resources and the freedom to execute on that plan. So the nice thing about dealing with an independent is that you know we're not looking to sell you a product that's been put together within the organization. We have what's referred to in the industry as open architecture, which allows us to really invest in any type of investment vehicle or investment product. And it's based on what is right for the client, what the client needs, as opposed to what's right for the financial institution. And when you mention layers and layers of people involved in an investment product or in the process that does add cost, uh, some of these costs are embedded. It's hard to see them sometimes. Uh, There is a lot more transparency in the market today than there was 32 years ago when I got in the industry. But at the same time, there still are a lot of hidden costs. And the way that you're able to run your business and other other individuals at independent firms are able to run it and and be able to cut out, as you say, the middleman and a lot of these unnecessary costs, which at the end of the day uh, feed into the total return that the client would be able to to, – to enjoy without those costs there. Fair enough. Sue, I want to talk to you about artificial intelligence. We're going to uh, pay some bills around here. So we, they don't do commissions, they do advertising. That's what this is all about. So just stay with us, uh, my friend. I'm going to come back to you. I want to talk about artificial intelligence right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. There we go. Good morning. Hi-Fi Radio, AM 640. Little refugee Tom Petty in memory of that 
rock and roll hero who sold some 80 million records. We're going to talk a little bit more about Tom Petty later in the show as we have DJ Lazy Ray and his brother Dave Ray, big fans <laughs> of Tom Petty, in the studio with us. But right now we have my boss, Stuart Rafters, uh, president of Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, here to join us and discuss the changing landscape as to how the financial industry is taking care of your money. Uh, Stu, I want to talk to you about uh, what's taking place at the big banks, because I don't think consumers understand what's taking place here. But there's a movement amongst the big banks not to want to, well, what they're doing is they're not paying advisors on accounts less than $250,000. So, Clients with, clients with a couple hundred grand at one of the major brokerage firms, don't be surprised if your advisor fires you at some point in the next, say, 24 months because they're not being paid to take care of your money. Uh, on this low end of the, of the equation, we have young people, millennials now adopting technology and you know, entertaining the notion of um, uh, robo-advisory, uh, basically allowing artificial intelligence or the, the modern portfolio theory through through an algorithm uh, direct your investment in about seven or eight ETFs. So my question to you, Stuart, is, you know, your children, my children, millennials, how do you think they're going to be investing their money, you know, over the next 30 years? Are they going to start with Robo and stick with Robo? Or are they going to, you know, take their small account to, that they get knocked out of the big brokerage firms and do it themselves? How is this going to play out, do you believe, over the next 25, 30 years? Well, technology is playing a greater and greater role in investing in general. Uh, if you look uh, how technology has changed, the facilitation of a transaction, how you invest on a stock exchange today, um, how it all you know occurs has changed dramatically over the last 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. The question, and it's changing that much faster today. So robo-advisory, um, something that I think is quite appealing to, to most millennials. Uh, they like to do things quick, efficiently, without hassle. Um, sort of on their time. Uh, so in theory, sounds pretty interesting. I think there's a couple of you know, potential issues with it. Um, using technology, technology sorry, to your advantage, hard to say that's not a good idea. But when it comes to investing, to think that you can a- answer a couple of pages of questions um, that are sort of t- typical questions for anybody as opposed to specific to an individual, and then through an algorithm, as you've mentioned, come out with a design portfolio. Um, investing just simply isn't that easy. Um, there's a lot of emotion, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, that goes into investing to categorize it into two areas. It's fear and greed. And both of those emotions cause you to do some, some, some things that, from an investing point of view, are usually wrong. People get very excited when the markets are going up or segments of the market starts to go up, whether that's technology or gold. Uh, people want to get in and get involved, and they can easily do that through a, through a robo-advisory platform. And history would show you will typically make a lot of mistakes uh, in doing that as an individual. Similarly, when markets um, go through a difficult time, uh, perhaps um, crash or go through a correction, uh, the emotion of fear kicks in, and again, People will panic, and and history would show will make some very bad decisions. So there's no question the technology behind robo-advisory is very solid. Uh, It's something that we will incorporate to help our advisors to do even a better job than what they do today. But for individuals to just latch onto that technology and try to run their, their investments on their own, really regardless of how much money they have, your financial assets are important to you. And whether that's less than 250000 or more than $20 million, 
you you require the advice and counsel of a professional and to simply use technology over time will will most likely work against you um, because you need somebody to guide you through those difficult periods those difficult periods being when things are way too good and those difficult periods when they're not when they're not so good mm-hmm. and um, so I would say a combination of using the technology, those algorithms behind robo-advisory, I think can be very helpful. Uh, but trying to do that without the advice and counsel of a professional uh, investment advisor, uh, I think longer term you're, 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 creating, you're creating issues for yourself that you don't necessarily need to. Mm-hmm. I would totally agree with that. Stuart, it's Jack here. Just uh, looking at the wealth simple out there and RoboAdvisor, uh, they've been in existence basically since the bull, or only through a bull market so far. And they haven't been tested through a bear market. So it's uh, it, it could be very challenging for some of these uh, you know newer investors that are, are adopting this technology. Just to, to look at uh, Wolfgang's other question there, uh, pushing uh, clients down the bank channel. Uh, what's your views on that? Those small $250,000 accounts getting pushed into mutual funds, maybe when it's not the most appropriate thing for them. How does a, an investor get started now uh, with a smaller amount of money? Well, it's it's an interesting change in the marketplace, um, Jack, and it is being driven by the larger institutions, um, the banks, I suppose, um, as they're really trying to drive more and more efficiency through that wealth management channel. So today, if you have less than $250,000, you're most likely going to be pushed more into a commoditized environment where, you know, more and more people will deal with fewer and fewer professionals and they'll try to package it up and create sort of a, um, a one, two, three solution. And again, as we talked about earlier in the call, you know, most people are not going to fit neatly into one, two or three categories. So I think it's problematic um, for for investors um, and it's unfortunate to think that they're they're hitting these levels, which today is 250,000. Um, my my prediction will be that would grow over the, over the next little while. So they're taking away your ability to deal with a professional investment advisor and to deal with more of a. Uh, you, you, in, in maybe in one way to look at it is you'll you're you're no longer a client of somebody. You become a customer of the bank. Mm. And, and with that, you're, you're sort of getting a, uh, a vanilla offering as opposed to something built specifically for you. Yeah, yeah well, it makes, it, makes keep, it challenging. We're going to continue to offer bespoke solutions, Jack and I. We take care of people first and foremost, always have, always will. Still. You and I uh, challenge that every now and then, but uh, hey, we, that's, that's part of business as well, isn't it, Stu? Look, happy Thanksgiving, sir. Uh, you're a good president. I have to say that, sort of. And uh, we love having you on board, <laughs> my friend. So uh, you have a good weekend, Stu. Happy Thanksgiving. And coming up next, we're going to... Talk about commoditization with a trader from the New York Stock Exchange. Mike Iazzi, right after this. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Thanks to DJ Lazy Ray for queuing up our Tom Petty tunes today as we pay tribute and celebrate Tom Petty's life, a man who sold 80 million records and had a career that spanned four decades. Uh, But right now, it's all business on Hi-Fi Radio. 
We're on the phone with the New York Stock Exchange. That's right, that huge building that you see on CNBC. Big media center in the center of it. Well, there's all those little people who are running around doing trading, and we got one of them on the line. His name is Mike Iazzi with Illustro Trading. Uh, Mike, I want to thank you very, very much for taking some time out of your busy day to join us here in Canada on AM640 Hi-Fi Radio. You're welcome. So, Mike, um, look, I, I met you and um, Tommy Turner, your previous partner, I guess about three or four years ago when I was at an oil conference when oil was still 100 bucks a barrel. Uh, yeah. when, when, oil, when it was 100 bucks a barrel, we have conferences. And when it's 25 bucks a barrel, well, we, go, we move on to pot stocks up here in Canada. Uh, but uh, anyways, um, so you're very gracious. Your partner was very, very gracious to actually get me through that massive security uh, to get inside the New York Stock Exchange. Give me a tour of the facility and, and a history lesson on on the exchange. And, of course, I bumped into you as well. But so much has really, really changed with the exchange in the last, say, 20 years. Uh, so can you please share with the audience as to how many bodies used to be in that building, how many bodies exist today, and the power of technology basically to replace some wonderful, warm-blooded people uh, with, with their jobs? Well, when I started back in 1993, uh, straight out of college, out of Penn State University, uh, there was 5,500 people on the floor. Uh, today, the number is closer to 350. Wow. That's yeah. unbelievable. And, and so... And- how did that happen? What did the machine do uh, uh, to, to replace you all? Like, how is that so? Okay, well, let me just uh, now. As I'm speaking to you, I'm actually actually putting out orders. So I just got ten thousand ANTM to sell for one of my customers. So I'm just going to be putting that out. And again, so the way I do that is I do that electronically. So years ago, I would have had to run over to where that stock trades. Right, because all stocks trade at locations, and this stock trades at post six. So instead, I can be actually sitting here with you, and I have a. It looks kind of like a bigger version of an iPad, and I put the order out, and it actually reaches the New York Stock Exchange, which it does about 20 to 25 percent of the volume. And all the other exchanges, as you know, there's probably close to 50 of them. Um, so, but the the main thing is that they get, you know, when algos were created, that gave everybody the tools to trade. So that gave the, you know, the buy side didn't have to call the sell side, who would call me, or we do we do buy side directly. So let's say. You know, Stevie Cohen or somebody like that could call a floor broker, and uh, and that was the only way to get trading done. So there was no other way to do it. By you had to call me, whether you like me or not, you had to give me your business, right? Or, so or a firm like mine. So Mike, it, it's Jack here. Um, the New York Stock Exchange is it the last open outcry exchange in the world? Is that correct? Yes, it is. It is, and and they're very proud of that, and they. Uh, and they sell that as right. far as competing for IPO listings. Uh, we had a meeting last week where all the IPOs that were of decent size over the last year listed here. Right. So uh, looking at uh, man versus machine and open outcry, uh, the special handling that you do, how do you add value to your clients? You mentioned IPOs. So what, what else do you guys do, and, and how? why do clients use you guys as opposed to the machine? Well, the main the, the main thing what we have is uh, is we have what you call parity. 
So, in other words, picture yourself at Disney World with your family, and you get online, and there's 100 people waiting to go on that ride. And then you spot me, and I say, Wolfgang, follow me. And we are able to cut the line and be the first one to go on the ride. Mm. So when you use the floor of the exchange, you use a broker directly, you have what they call parity. So Not front-running. No, no, not at all. It's just it's a benefit of using a floor broker versus just using a machine. So um, that's one of the main reasons that people still use us, because in a stock that, let's say, there's 500,000 on the bid and 500,000 on the offer, and they want to buy 5,000 shares, well, if they put that in, you know, that whole bid's got to get hit out before they buy them. So So they're at the back of the line. Exactly. So you give it to me. Now I put it out there. So now I'm in the front of the line. Now 10,000 trades, you, you buy your five thou, and there's still, you know, 490,000 shares wanted in that particular stock. Hey, Mike, we're going we to we run a few commercials here, but uh, you're a Tom Petty fan, aren't you? Absolutely. All right. So, so we're going to take a request, okay? Give us a request. We're going to play for you when we come back. Okay. Sounds good. No, what do you, what do you get? Yeah, give us a song you want to hear. Uh, let's see. There's, there's, there's so many. Why don't we go with uh, learning to fly? Say, I didn't hear Le- you learning to fly is what Jack wants to. You get with that yeah, one? Market's right, ripping. Go Sounds good. All right, learning. That's a good one. There All you right. go. So it's a bull market, folks. Learning to fly coming up right after this live from the New York Stock Exchange. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. Love of Money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Well, I started out down a dirty road. Started out all alone. And the sun went down as it crossed the hill. And the town lit up The world got still I'm learning to fly Thank you. I was waiting for that. Hi-Fi Radio, AM640. Happy Thanksgiving weekend to you all. In Canada, of course. And we are on the phone live with the New York Stock Exchange, Illustro Trading, Mike Iazzi. Pleasure to spend some time with you today, Mike. Thank you very much for joining us. You got it. Happy to be here. Yeah, so again, Jack mentioned the word open outcry, and I guess uh, to, to describe that to the audience, basically when buyer and seller would yell and scream at each other and negotiate a price per share, old school stuff. But, you know, when I came to the New York Stock Exchange, I expected a lot of bodies, uh, and I immediately asked your partner at the time, I said, where are all the people? And he said, well, we've been put out of work. So uh, Jack wants to know, you know, uh, uh, Mike, as, as, as you're doing your thing every day, what is a typical day like for you? So, you know, you get in here, let's say, 8, 8.30, you turn on your machines, and uh, you start pinging out all, all your customers, kind of, you know, all my customers have been there for an hour before that, you know, and they're seeing what's hot, whether it's an IPO, um, whether it's not, whether they're just, you know, trading pharmaceutical names, and there's news out, like, for instance, uh, UNH today uh, is down, you know, a couple dollars, two 
$2.50, and I'm actually a buyer over the day for a customer. So hey, how's yes. my Equifax doing, by the way? Yeah, I mean, not so great. Um, not so great, as you know. Uh, I don't know. Did it, did it, was, is it a worldwide thing? I mean, I know it affected the U.S. pretty hard. 134 million people got compromised. No, I'm just, I'm just a share price. I bought the stock at 93 bucks. I say, uh, it depends on the entry point, whether it's yeah, uh, yeah, favorable no, yeah, or yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you might be okay. We bought the volatility, buddy. Uh, when everyone was selling, we were buying, Jack and I. I was going to say, that's one thing that you're not seeing out there right now, Mike, is a whole lot of volatility. And how does that affect you? You're a trader. You want volatility. You want price discovery. You, you want to have clients transacting. What are you, what are you seeing out there right now? So, so for instance, when... When there's a market that goes straight up, customers feel that they can just put their orders in algorithms, and it's very easy to buy. And, uh, you know, you put it in what they call a third of the volume. So if you have 10 to buy, as long as 30 trades, you buy your 10, the customer's happy. And you don't move the market. And you don't move the market. I mean, you could. I mean, theoretically, if there's three buyers and no sellers, it's almost like if you're in an algo versus a human looking at it, you know, once one person buys, let's say, 2,000 shares, well, then the algo reacts and buys the next 2,000. Then the other third guy, he buys the next 2,000. So if there is no sellers and it's thinly traded stock. That's straight up. Yeah, I mean, that's what happened with the flash crash. There were all sellers, all algos, and, you know, the humans were the smart ones that said, I'm not selling the stock down 10 bucks um, because all the bids, you know, withdrew. And uh, we got high praise that day from our customers that said, great job. We remember you know? that, yeah. Yeah, good for um, you. So, but back, you know, back to, let's say, just a, a, a normal day is what we do is we, you know, Give our keep our customers up uh, where their stocks they're interested in, where they look, and how you know how it's going to open, where it's going to open, and how they want to impact it. So, for instance, if a stock looks you know fifty dollars on fifty thousand, and I'm selling twenty, and he wants to sell maybe another ten, it might take it down maybe another twenty cents. So he doesn't want to do that. So he'll say, you know what, just be happy selling twenty, and then you know. You have 30 left, let's say, you can work that over a half hour or be a third of the volume. Or they give me, you know, everybody gives you different instructions on what they want to do. But, again, the main reason why there's less people here is because as the tools to do that went to other, you know, firms, they can theoretically do it themselves. Now, most firms and all the big ones have a link to the floor, Depending on how much business they give them, everybody wants to have parity in certain situations. And what the NYSE did, which which was good, which helped us, so for an IPO, for instance, you used to be able to go on Bloomberg and see where that stock was going to open or, you know, for the day. Well, now, if it opens, if it lists here, the only way to get any information on where that stock looks is to call somebody like me. You know, and, tell, and I'll tell you where it looks. So you can put your order in your machine in your Vanguard account or TD Ameritrade, but you don't have any price discovery unless, you know, you're watching CNBC and Bob Pisani showing you or, or you actually have a broker. So on those days, we're very busy. So that was a good thing that the exchange did. Uh, another thing what, what we have, and 
it's called a, a D quote, right? D is in David. Mm-hmm. And, and what that allows us to do, and again, this is only for people that are on the floor and customers that use us, is normally if you want to put an order in at the end of the day and get the closing print, it would be called a market on close order. Mm-hmm. And you would have to put that order in at 345 before 345 and you could not change it for any reason unless it was an error and it would have to be a bona fide error under FINRA rules so for instance you know let's say there's 250,000 Merck to buy on the close they see that it comes out at 2 o'clock you have a hedge fund that wants to sell 25,000 so they put their market on close in all of a sudden, it flips to being, you know, 500000 to sell. Hmm. Um, and, you know, now they're thinking, damn, I, you know, I'm going to sell it at the low of the day. I don't want to do that. Well, it's too late. Right. If they're in a the system, it's too late. But if, you, if there's a man overseeing it, if you, you now, If you give me that order, I have right up until 359.50 to use what they call the D-quote which will allow me to put the order in or take it out based on the price. Wow. So we have so customers down here receive baskets from hedge funds and sell side of millions of shares of orders from big banks that just want us to dequote for them. Hmm. And and get the closing price. Yeah, a lot and of devil in the details here, Mike. Look, I, we we have to uh, let you go here, my good friend. But uh, Jack and I really respect boots on the ground type people. We got DJ Lisa Ray in the studio. He's a boots on the ground DJ. Jack and I, the way we run money is very boots on the ground, and that's exactly what you do on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Look, may you have a long, prosperous career, my friend. I hope uh, you don't get AI'd out of work or Amazon, shall I say? Yeah, right. And, uh, well, it, they're taking over the world. What are you gonna do? Yeah, I don't know, my friend, but uh, you're, you're a good guy. Can you, we're going to bring you back on if you don't mind. Really appreciate your time in the New York Minute, my good friend, all right? All right, buddy. Great speaking with you. A pleasure. Thank you. All right, folks, coming up next, tax, 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 and more tax. Our good friends Justin and Courtney from BDO are going to join us, and, of course, we're going to continue to weave in some Tom Petty with DJ Lazy Ray right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. That's what I want. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. That's what I want. Love of Money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Yes. A DJ Lazy Ray Peck, as we have our friends Justin and Courtney from BDO counting from here to join us. And I guess we're going to throw a song to Justin Trudeau, are we not? Uh, As uh, he talks tax and uh, corporate tax specifically. So, Justin Courtney, I want to thank you for coming into the studio to help Jack and I today. Uh, DJ Lazy Ray, of course, is in the house with the music lineup, and his brother Dave Ray is here as well. Now, you know, what I like about Ray and Dave is they are independent business people, so to speak. They're self-employed guys, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 so Dave's a photographer, and uh, you what? Dave worked for Toronto Life. 
Uh, I freelance, but um, yeah, I've done a lot of work for Toronto Life over the past uh, five, six years, something like that. Yeah, yeah, and and Ray, of course, you are spinning the tunes at Toronto. That's where I know you from. But uh, where else do you where else do you perform? Uh, just all over, uh, you know. <laughs> I, I, uh, you have a gig on Queen West, don't you? Friday night gig on Queen uh, West. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, you can see me at Dog and Bear on Friday nights. Uh, Do- Dog and Bear Friday nights. Yeah, yeah. You know, you Jeff by noon before noon, so we have you. Up for, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry about that, Ray. I, very, very grateful you to come in here to join us, my friend. Uh, but you do weddings as well, Ray. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I do pretty much everything. I've done book fairs, fundraisers, a lot, uh, you know, after hours. Late so so he's days. an entrepreneur and a small business owner, and he's being affected, I, I would assume, by these tax uh, changes that Justin Trudeau and uh, Murnau are presenting. Is that correct? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So first off, good morning. Uh, good morning, Toronto. Good morning, everyone. Thanks again for having us both on the show again. You're very welcome. Yeah. yeah thanks for having us. Yeah. No, but why I like Ray and, and, and Dave is because they are entrepreneurs. They're self-employed. Uh, no one's giving them a paycheck each and every week. They have to go out and earn it themselves. And more and more Canadians are realizing that in, the, in this job market, that's what they have to do. Uh, yet Justin Trudeau and, 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 and our government uh, says we're not taxing small businesses enough. And so now these new white pages have been proposed, correct? Uh, so where do we stand on the proposed, excuse me, proposed changes? Yeah, so it's good timing, actually. The consultation period ended on Monday, and uh, Morneau put out some facts and quotes on October 3rd. And he basically said, you know, they've received over 21,000 written submissions on the changes. And your firm submitted as well? Yes, our firm submitted. Good. Absolutely. Yeah, we uh, put a, it's about a 30-page submission to the Department of Finance, really highlighting some of the technical issues and, you know, sort of anomalies with the draft legislation. A lot of it's loosely worded and, and could have some very large ramifications on, you know, people like yourselves that are here today, you know, doctors, lawyers, dentists, small, small you know, small owner-managed enterprises mm-hmm. where they kind of spin it as, you know, this is going to, we're, we're taxing the rich, we're taxing the rich. But really, when you break it down, that's, that's really not the case. Um, it, it really impacts, you know, people trying to make a living, people trying to create jobs. And, you know, I can give you an example in terms of cash flow, right? You have, you know, he, they keep spinning it. Like I said, we're taxing the rich, we're taxing the rich. Well, let's just say a family, you've got a family, you know, uh, one of the spouse stays home, raises the kids. The other spouse, you know, um, you know, has the working out um, whatever job they may have created. And let's just say that, you know, they, you know, before the changes, you know, they'd make $200,000 of income and one of the spouses would claim the hundred, the other spouse would claim the other hundred, you know, common income splitting scenario. In mm-hmm. that case, they'd pay $20,000 in tax. And maybe their, maybe their business doesn't make $5 million a year. They don't have that cash flow out there. You know, they're not just rolling in money, as you'd say. Well, these proposed changes would, on that $200,000 for the spouse who isn't actively involved in the business, they'd pay $43,000 in tax. That's a $23,000 difference. Wow. Where does that come from? Yeah. Right? So that could impact you. Where well, it, could come, come from? it could come from charitable giving. It could come from an RESP. But, you know, Jack, Jack and I were joking around the office. And, and folks, I'm going to remind you, we were goofing around the office the other day. And we said, wait a minute. With the way in, the, these proposed legislative changes are being uh, tabled, Jack and I said, gee whiz, it would actually make sense to get divorced pay spousal support, and hence income split. Become friends, remain friends, but actually get divorced and uh, uh, have a, sp- a spousal agreement where you're actually paying spousal support. So well, what's your thought on that? Well, we wouldn't recommend it as a tax strategy, though it may actually be beneficial. 
But it would be benefit. No, wouldn't because we did the math, the two of us or the four of us, and I think we worked with about a twenty-five thousand dollars savings. And it's and it's funny how you mention that because we we've talked to a lot of clients who say even like yourselves here, right? You say you know what, they're going to tax me more. I can't even afford to even you know make that two that two thousand dollar difference a month. I just mentioned maybe that's your mortgage payment. So you're gonna have people out there guaranteed. They're going to say, honey. Let's get a divorce. And 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 why would you do that? Well, well what happens is well there's going to be spousal support and what happens in spousal support is the the higher income spouse would get a deduction for what they'd pay the other spouse mm-hmm. and the other spouse would claim it as income. Mm-hmm. So effectively your income splitting like again what Courtney said is there's a lot of there's a lot of other factors that go with that type of a strategy but you're going to have people out there that'll say in spite of the government this is what we're doing. We are going to get divorced. We are going to close our shop and that's a problem. Jack, what do you think about that? Because I, I know you, you you get pretty emotional about this type of I, stuff here, for, for good reason, I believe. I, I think that taxes are used to incentivize uh, certain activities, and it appears in this case they're actually incentivizing divorce. It doesn't make sense. We know that's not the intent of it, but actually they have created a, a financial situation There's where a the, that is. A, you know, they, they, they talk about loopholes. They talk about small business loopholes. They're not loopholes that these small businesses have taken advantage of. They're actually tax law that has been implemented for the last 20, 30 years, and it's you know, yeah. to incentivize small businesses. Small businesses are good for the economy, generally speaking, and we want to incentivize that. We want to incentivize risk-taking, but uh, uh, it seems like it may have backfired just on this one uh, circumstance, and I know that wasn't the intent, but uh, financially, and like you said, divorce is not a good situation. It's never, no. you know, financially sound to do that, but uh, they seems like they're actually incentivizing it right now, which is kind of odd. It's unbelievable. All right, folks, we got one more Tom Petty song that DJ Lazy Ray is going to queue up on the table for us. We're going to pay some bills and come back to you and talk to you a little bit more about tax right after this. Stay with us. There's more show still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. Yes, free-falling. So my spin on that is potential brain drain. You raise taxes, and people say I may do business elsewhere. What do you guys think about that? Justin Courtney from BDO, and of course, Jack in the house. It's a great question, and and not, not, not too far long ago, I suppose. What did Trump come out with in the United States? Mm Mm-hmm. A proposed sort of draft legislation to say we're going to reduce taxes in our country, and and build a wall and do some healthcare. And, I was gonna, stuff I was and, and, and the other build thing a wall that, and do yeah. a whole lot of other crazy <laughs> things. He's got big and, ambitions. <laughs> he does, and you know a lot of the things he says. Obviously, you know you just kind of wonder how we could just go. But I, do, I would say my spin on that wolf is that the brain drain in Canada. Uh, it's the most productive, the most upwardly mobile people that have the ability to move. It's, you know, not the people that are dependent on the government. So, yeah, it's it's a risk out there. And I well, think the Canadian government should actually be uh, looking at what happened, you know, back in the 90s. And, you know, uh, taxes have gone up 10% on the personal level in the last 10 years. 10%, it's it, insane. Yeah, it is insane from 45 to 55%. Yeah. And, but this, you know, I had a surgeon, who, who, who uh, an orthopedic surgeon, who basically went to the United States to work because he just he said, I work 
worked too hard. I've studied too hard. I can't make a reasonable living here. I have to pay for my office and my staff. I'm going to the United States. And he yeah. tripled his income. Uh, and I'd I say I, part of this legislation is equalizing corporate with personal tax, but uh, maybe the personal tax is a little too high. Maybe they should just bring that down and then equalize that, That's a very, very you know good what I mean? point. I, I they always mean. look at raising taxes as opposed to reducing to equalize. It, it doesn't it make just, sense. It just never happened. Well, there's two things, right, Courtney? You have that stat, I think, that about yeah, just, I mean, you know, in terms of the money they're trying to save and the scope of what the deficit is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they think um, this is going to result in tax revenues of $250 million. Well, the deficit is... $250 million, a That's drop it. in the bucket. Drop in the bucket. What are they doing? Right? They're just upsetting everyone um, who has a small business and encouraging people to go elsewhere, like you said. Right. I mean, we are lucky that Trudeau's what's next door. Or, sorry, Trump's what's next door. We, we are very, very lucky, without question, without question. But again, I, I think if, if I was a tech entrepreneur, a tech startup, um, I now have a lot of choices as to where I can launch my tech company. And I want to be around other tech-savvy people. And sure, there's someone in Waterloo. We, there's someone in Ottawa. A lot of them in Toronto. But when I think uh, other place in the world, I think of Los Angeles. And uh, nice climate, a uh, lot, lot, of, lot of tech-friendly people that can help you build your business. Uh, and with a more tax-friendly regime, I don't know. I see that taking place. And like I said, they're the most upwardly mobile and progressive people. And they add a lot to our economy. We don't want to chase those people away. They're the ones that pay for you know, uh, the schools, hospitals, all the social programs that we, we depend on and we like. Uh, it's it's paid for by these entrepreneurs and and business people. Yeah, I wonder, Ray, would would you move to L.A. Like, if they said we're going to we're going to raise your taxes by twenty percent, you're a DJ. What would you do, pal? Would you move I'd to move L.A. to L.A. in a second? <laughs> I'm going to come with you under any situation. They could raise you, right? my, the taxes could be higher there, and I'd move to L.A. <laughs> uh, Justin Courtney, tell me something. What can we do? Well, right now, I mean, the consultation period just ended. Uh, the consultation period just ended, so you, I would still encourage you to go go discuss with your uh, MP, member of parliament. Right, the more feedback you get, you know, as Courtney mentioned, you mentioned again, but you can speak again about Morneau and how, you know, he actually backtracked a little bit uh, earlier this week. Yeah, I mean, he did say they wanted to ensure that this doesn't affect transfers of family businesses to the next generation, which was a big concern. With and they're focused on farms there, right? Yeah, f- farms and small businesses. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I would I would say keep keep giving the feedback, keep giving the pressure because it could be working, right? He came out and he said we're going to look at adjusting some of the proposed legislation. This just came out this week. That's somewhat encouraging. Is it a little bit of a political play to say, you know, maybe yes, maybe no? I guess we'll wait and see. But at this point, you know, I guess we'd recommend before implementing any significant transaction, talk to your advisor. We're sort of saying hold off for now. However, there are a lot of things you have to be cognizant of doing if this goes through, that have to be done before the end of the year. So we will caution you on that before we wrap up. Well, friends and family, it is Thanksgiving. I'm very thankful for my guests today. If you're looking for a great accountant or you have any tax questions, Justin and Courtney from BDO are always here to help you. If you plan on getting married, not divorced, DJ Lazy Ray can be your wedding tunes. And, of course, his brother will be the photographer extraordinaire, Dave Ray. You just be got to be careful. Might up in Toronto life if the picture is just too little, too uh, erotic. So be careful on that front. And, of course, we have Jack Hartle, who's getting set for another Thanksgiving with his three lovely kids. So, folks, on that note, I want to wish you all the best. And thank you for listening to Hi-Fi Radio. been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640Toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.